welcome back to another reading radio. Today we are doing Hatchet by Gary Paulson. And this is a book recommended to us and voted on by our private Facebook group. So if you're interested in influencing the books that we read, you can head on over there and be a part. Um, when it comes to the classics especially, I like to ask for opinions because I don't know what people were reading when they were kids. I didn't read a whole lot when I was in middle school, except for some sci-fi and fantasy books, but we'll get to eventually. Okay, so what was your overall thought as a book? Well, I'd never heard of this book when people suggested Me it. Me neither. But it came up as a pretty popular suggestion. Okay, give it a shot. Some people we trust. Hi, Nate. Uh, suggested it to us. Uh, overall impression? I, th- I thought it was really interesting. I got right to the point. <clears throat> it was action-packed. Um, didn't kind of jump around a lot and make you wait for good things to happen. Mm-mm. Kind of skipped over the boring parts at times and ended with a abrupt but satisfactory ending. Yes. So I thought the book was very well written. The way it started out, it was very easy to understand. So you weren't confused in the beginning about what was happening, who the characters are. Like you weren't dropped into the middle of the series. It was so it was very well written and it was easy to understand so that you could easily see the book and not have to have any prior knowledge to understand it at all yeah okay so this is a book club we've given overall impressions but we're just gonna warn you right now we're going into spoiler territory because we're talking to talk about the book so if you haven't read it and you care go read it now come back and listen to the podcast later you can find uh find copies of the book and how to buy it at readingradio.com in the bookstore You'll see all the books that we've done in the past. Go get it, read it, come back, and listen to it because we don't want to hear you complain about spoilers. <laughs> so. I th- what did you think of, like, it wasn't just <clears throat> kind of the action, but the overall theme of his parents' divorce kind of running through the background? I thought that was, just going to wait a minute. I thought that was a very interesting perspective because none of the books that I have read have had that that kind of perspective running through it. Like they've never dealt with divorce or? That and the fact that going through the background, it moves the story along. Something like that make, keeps him motivated. Yeah. And obviously it's it's and, it's the crux of why he's in the situation that yeah. he's in, right? He, if he wasn't flying to a divorced parent, then he wouldn't have gotten in the plane crash in the first place. I thought the whole scene with the plane crash was interesting. Yeah. Like, we have, like, two or three years ago, we went up in a, in a plane that was probably the exact same plane or very close to it. Yeah. Um, it was tight. <clears throat> yeah. So it was a, a three-seat bench across the back, and then the pilot and I sat in the co-pilot seat. And the, he, the, the co or sorry, the pilot did the same thing for me. He let me hold the controls and showed me, you know, here, you could fly. Now, I didn't get to turn it or anything, mm-hmm. but he let me, you know, let me control it. So if he would have had a heart attack, God forbid, you know, I could have at least kept a steady, I'll... Uh, Landing would have probably been just as bad as the book. <laughs> it was, we no, weren't we'll as ma- around as many a forest, though. No. So. Plenty of water. I could have landed in the Ohio River and would have been fine. Would have been washed away. <laughs> anyway. So, what about the secret, as Brian called it, throughout the books? Do you think his mom knew that he knew? No. Not at all? No. Why? If she knew that he knew, she would have had a talk with him. This isn't something we're going to tell your father. This is a little secret between us. There'd have been some sort of movement on her part to, to get ahead of it and make sure he didn't tell his father what was going on. Yeah. At least before the divorce. Maybe afterwards she wouldn't have cared, but beforehand that, that's probably the situation. That's my thought anyway. That makes sense. After the plane crash, he's stranded out in the middle of the lake. Then he gets off the lake, gets out of the water, 
and he finds the um, little, he sleeps for like two days straight and gets really sunburned then. Right. And mosquito bitten. Then he finds the cave, and I find it very interesting how he turns that cave into the house in Fortress. Yeah. What was interesting about that? The way he did it, the way the book was written, because it showed his mindset, how the character Brian was processing through what he needed to do. Right. The funny part about it was we were listening to this on the way to West Virginia, I think, and I had just gone to a Girl Scout survival overnight, and that was hard enough as it was. I don't know how I would have done that with no supplies to start with. So talk a little about your survival overnight. What did that mean? It was a cadet Girl Scout event, and we took, all we had was a couple cans of food, all the clothes that was on our body, and a sleeping bag, and a tarp, and a few things we got to pick ahead of time. So more than Brian had. A lot more. Yeah. But that was hard enough as it is, as it was. So I don't know how he did it with just himself, no one to help, like, lean on figuratively to help him along. I don't know how he would have done that. We kept stopping it and seeing what we would have done Yeah. in the way, though. But I also think we had more knowledge than he did. Well, yeah, we had. We were sitting there on the internet looking up edible <laughs> plants and trying to figure out what that was. This, I mean, this book was written uh, long before the internet was invented, so it kept talking about books that he had read yeah. about, you know, about flying or about survival or things that he, you know, things that he didn't know about. <clears throat> I was just worried about that Canadian winter coming. I didn't know if it was going to get that far. I didn't realize that their tornado seasons in the summer either. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. Our tornado season is a little later in the year, but theirs apparently comes, you know, up there in the summer. But it, what he did was doing was so. But other than that, besides the knowledge of the internet, I think because being a Girl Scout and my mom and my sister, all three of us being Girl Scouts, knowing, learning what to have done in that situation. How to get the mosquitoes to stop biting him. I didn't know this before, but apparently if you cover yourself in mud, they won't come at, they won't come and bite you. Right. It's harder for them to see the infrared spectrum if you're covered in mud and they can't bite through it as well. So, yeah, there's little things like that that we probably, we probably know, especially since your mom's done first aid and wilderness training, that sort of stuff. So she's Mm -hmm. mentioned those kind of things. You know, you never know what you can do in those situations, but with with a hatchet and that's it. Pretty much. Whew. I don't know. I don't know if I could make it for, what, 90 days he was out there? I think it was longer than that. I think it was like four months. No, because they would have taken him into winter. Two or three months? Yeah, I think it was 60 or 90 days. They'd stopped looking for him at one point. Um... I think it, it, the biggest, the first decision that I would have had differently is I would have turned, like when I had radio contact with somebody mm-hmm. and the radio started going out because of distance, I would have turned the plane around. Mm. Using landmarks down the ground, I would have done a 180 and started flying back toward where I could pick up a radio signal and talk to that person. Because then there's a Mythbusters episode where they, they try to figure out if you can actually land a plane, if you can talk to the tower. And so they get him in like a full-fledged cockpit of a 747 simulator and they try to you know no training try to land the plane and they just kill it they blow it up they crash the plane (laughs) and so but then they get somebody who's an expert trainer on the headset with them and he talks them through exactly what to do and they were able to land a 747 Mm. you know big massive plane and so i'm thinking if you could get on the phone with the tower 
and they could talk you through it, you might have a better chance of surviving. But I like as soon as I that that radio was going on, I'm like I'm screaming, "Go turn around, turn around! What are you doing? <laughs> Get back to where you could talk to somebody." And of course, that would have been the end of the book, so it would have been terribly interesting. But there was a lot of trials that he faced. I think the first big one was probably the gut cherries, as he called them, or the yeah, choke cho- cherries. Choke cherries. Yeah, those um, that made him really sick. Yeah, this is why it's dangerous to eat things you don't know about. If you're going to go into some sort of hiking situation like that, you should know what what things are. He didn't know, obviously, but... It was either that or die, for sure. Take the chance of death, or pretty much positive death. Yeah, which, eat one, wait a half an hour, see what happens. Something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. I don't know. So, what else? The next big thing was after he found the raspberries, the bear. Yeah. <laughs> I've... Um, especially if, when there's a cub nearby, mama bears are nothing to play with. Yeah. Although I thought, um, I mean, he he the first time he just kind of stared it down. What are you gonna do? And she wasn't interested in him. Most of bears aren't, from what I understand. Unless you're near a cub, they're not. They don't care. They're gonna play with you and move along. That moose incident was much more crazy later in the. That world. was hilarious, kind of. Like reading about it was hilarious, but not being in. I would not want to be in that boat. No, not at all. Being attacked by that, by, I mean, yeah. you've seen moose at the zoo, right? Those things are huge. I know. I'm, su- I'm surprised they, you know, could write that in such a way that it would be a survival. Now, from, from what I understand, Gary Paulson is a big outdoorsman kind of guy, um, kind of a Luddite, which means he doesn't like technology. So he mm-hmm. is, and I mean, he probably still types on a, on a typewriter if he still writes, that kind of guy. So... He probably wrote this fairly accurately. This is how things go. This is what would happen in that situation. Uh, just from knowing, from being an outdoorsman. So I, I have to trust his his ability to write that better than my, you know, sitting behind a keyboard understanding of what, what would be going on. It was the porcupine and the skunk were the two other things that got in, wasn't it? Yeah. Once he created the fire, I think that was the trial and error of that was great. Yeah. Not being able to do it right off the bat. Yeah. And then I thought it was kind of fun that he, once he found the supply pack, he had that, he felt like he was cheating. Like it wasn't, <laughs> he didn't feel right about it because he had changed so much. Yeah. I mean, being in that situation, he was, you know, he talked about the changes where he's impermanent, how he was much more um, deliberate about he, things that he did. He paid much more attention to his surroundings. He was more aware of what was going on because, you know, falling and getting a cut on your leg here, we put some Neosporin on it, you get a Band-Aid. Falling and getting cut on your knee out there means you could get an infection and die. Yeah. So he was, he was forced by the situation to really pay attention and learn how to do things um, and survive for that short period of time. I would have eaten all that food, though. I mean, the food packs. Oh, we found them? Yeah. I'm sure he was... By that point, though, his stomach had probably shrank. So you would have thrown up everything. Right. He pro- and that's why he was able... Because remember when he found the turtle eggs, he was able to... He ate like four or five up front, and then he was able to kind of pause and say, okay, I need to save these. Mm-hmm. I need to not eat them all right away. And he was able to control himself. By the end, I think he was kind of in that same situation. This is this can last me for a long time if it has to. But if it doesn't have to, then... Which it didn't, because he got rescued as soon as he found the smorgasbord. Did you just call it a smorgasbord? Yeah. Um, this is like a classic tale of man versus nature, or or is it? Do you think it's actually? Let me ask this: Is it man versus nature, or man versus himself? Hmm. Right. It might be a little bit of both. In what way? 
because it's him versus himself fighting for survival. It's him versus himself fighting for survival and his will to survive, especially after he's in so much anguish after the plane flies by and tries to kill himself then. So it's himself, the will to be able to not do that. But it's nature, like, versus the moose, the bear, the, the, skunk, porcupine, the porcupine, the berries, things like that. So I think it's both. Okay. I think that's fair. Obviously, it's man versus nature in that he's trying to survive, but he's also fighting against who he is as a person to be able to survive. But because <clears throat> he grew up in the city, he was spoiled. Well, it wasn't just because he grew up in the city, but growing up in the city, it's kind of a, you know, you may go to a park or something. But it's nothing like being out in, in the wilderness, uh, learning those kind of survival skills. Different kind of survival skills in the city. Learning how not to get beat up, that sort of thing, but not by bears. And he said this in the book, like, oh, I'm out of eggs. Mom, I'm going to go to the store to get more eggs. But out there, he's like, oh, no, I'm out of food. I need to go find more food or I'll die. Yeah, that was an interesting observation. Nature is constantly about finding food. Yeah. So I've been watching a few nature documentaries recently. That's really, that's it. it. You find food or you die. That's pretty much the story. And we are, we take so much for granted in, in our retail system in that we can just literally go to the store and get whatever we want to eat, you know, mm-hmm. and 15 kinds of it. Yeah. It's not even a problem. People ask a lot, like, why is there scarcity in the world? Why are people starving? And like the real question we should be asking is why do we have such opulence Why do we have the ability in certain places to be able to go to a store and buy so much? Because that's not the natural state of things. The natural state of things is there's not enough food to go around. You've got to kill to survive. You dog-eat-dog kind of world. Nature's not kind. It's constantly killing one another to survive. We watched this video about how common cannibalism actually is. Really? In nature. Don't you remember that? Oh, in nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I do. The frogs, not humans. Yeah, okay. That's a different level of gross. (laughs) I think it was like some sort of fish. They eat each other. Yeah, they eat the babies when they're born. Because they're laying those eggs. They don't necessarily know who's their own. And so there's a lot of... Just eat them. Yeah. And I mean, there's. I was watching one with your grandfather the other night where it's the baby, these baby rock iguanas. They lay their eggs far away and they've got to like run across this rocky beach and find their way to the rest of the iguanas to survive. But the whole place is inhabited by what they call racer snakes. They're really fast too. And so as soon as they hear these little guys flitting across the ground, like dozens of them come pouring out of the rocks oh and start chasing this thing. And it's just like, it showed one. He literally just hatched, peeks his eyeballs above the sand, and there's a snake going right in front of him. And I'm like, okay, we're not born into that. Like, we come into the world, we scream, they spank us, they wrap us up in a blanket, and we're happy. <laughs> These things, nature, like, I'm gonna, I'm born, I'm um, gonna be eaten. Like, just that fast. <laughs> and that's just, I mean. Born to death. Yeah, born right in, born to death. Which, we are too. We just hide it a lot better. Because we're all dying. Yeah. Pretty soon. <laughs> in the grand scale of things. It's gonna make the most of what we have. Do you know there's sequels to this book? No. There is? Yes, there is. Uh, at least, at least, I don't know if they're sequels. Gary Paulson has written other books. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if they're connected. I was trying to figure out if they were. That would be really weird. Like, did this happen to this kid again? If this happens again, 
I'm just going to stay home or go find another friend to live with. Yeah, I'm never leaving the house. <laughs> In fact, it was one of the things I really enjoyed about the ending, although, like I said, it was kind of abrupt. He accidentally flips on the transceiver, and then 20 minutes later, a plane lands. Which made me think, huh, that lake is bigger than I thought. I was picturing something a little smaller in my head, but that's fine. Um, and then it kind of does the epilogue right into the story of here's what happened when he went back home. Here's how things went down. Here's the way he changed. And I almost started to think, is this a real story? Is this based on a true story? Yeah, so did I. So we actually started, I started looking up his name, like, Brian, okay, Brian is he... No, no, okay. No, this is just, that's how he wrote it, which I was intrigued by. Yeah. Like, it grabbed my attention thinking, that's one thing, some things they don't cover that in books. Like, how does this affect you long term? One, you probably need some psycho- psychological treatment, some therapy or some counseling <laughs> to get you through this idea. He was probably stronger in a lot of ways when he went back. Um, I like the fact that he was a little more disciplined, a little more deliberate, you know, calmed down a good bit. Kind of interesting stuff. Yeah. What was your overall score of the book on a scale of one to five? Five being everybody should read this book. One being don't bother. This book should, every copy of this book should be burned (laughs) and no one should ever be forced to read it again. That's a bit drastic. There's several books I was forced to read in school that I would rate a one. What? Seriously? Yes. Yes. We should read them for the podcast. Really? Okay. (laughs) We're reading throw, everybody. (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, I think I'd go to about three and a half. Three and a half? Maybe four. I think I'd go four. Yeah. It's a solid four. It's a really good book. I'd say four is like the, I'd recommend it to people. And it's a short book. You could, you know, get through <laughs> it in a couple days, depending on how fast you read. I want to say it was three CDs. So like three and a half hours we listened to it. Yeah. So if you can re- listen to it that fast, you could probably read it much faster, depending on mm-hmm. how fast you are reading. So it's a good book. Good uh, reading to the younger kids' books. Friends of ours who recommended to us are actually reading it out loud to their... How old are they? Seven. Seven and five. Okay. So, no, I think they're a little younger than that. No, they're seven and five. Okay, I'll trust you. You babysit them, so you probably know how old they are better than I do. Um, but it's re- reading to them every reading to them every night, so we were able to talk with them about it. It's kind of fun. The neat little what-would-you-do-in-this-situation kind of book to yeah. get, get you started in those kind of stories. Uh, and... Of course, it was funny as we were reading it the whole time, and I went, I don't know if this has a happy ending. Yeah. I mean, this book's you old. said that a lot. This book's old enough that he could have died. It would have been like, you know, other stories that I won't spoil for you because we might read them where it doesn't have a happy ending. You got to figure that out. So, all right. So, he's both doing a four. You know, committing to a 3.5. All right. We'll commit to a four. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Reading Radio Podcast. You can check us out at reading-radio.com. Please do that and go over uh, to Facebook and look us up. You can join our private Facebook group or discuss the books along the way. Mostly it's the parents, so we talk about how to help our kids read. Um, we're having a, had a good conversation on how to get kids to read nonfiction. Um, somebody suggested biographies, and so Laura is now reading two cool books, one called Fly Girls. Fly Girls, it's about woman pilots in World War II and the Red Scarf Girl, which what's, is an autobiography. And what's that one about? Um, it's about... It's about a Chinese girl. I don't know the exact details, though. Yeah, it was during during a revolution in China yeah. she was a part of. So, not quite. They're still they're nonfiction, not just factual books, but biographies and autobiographies. Somebody mm-hmm. suggested was a good place to start. Uh, are you enjoying Fly Girls? I think I started it. I only like a chapter in. Okay, so not enough to know whether you enjoy it yeah. or not. Fair enough. 
<clears throat> Next month, we are back to a new book, and Laura has chosen one for us. What's it going to be? The Maze Runner, the first book by James Dashner. I started reading it because my friend recommended it to me, and she pretty much wouldn't stop talking about it. Hi, Lily. <laughs> and the movie, the third movie just came out. Okay. And so this is very similar to The Hunger Games, is my understanding. I've never read this book. It's at the summary it gives on the cover, seems like it. But once you read more into it, it is not at all. Okay. And your sister's begging to read this book. Have you read The Whole Maze Runner already? Read all the books, but, but uh, two. Okay. It, is it more or less... Uh, it, should it be an older age than The Hunger Games, or is it a younger age level than The Hunger Games? In a little opinion. bit younger, like a year or two, maybe. Do you think The Hunger Games was more intense? Yeah. Okay. The first book is fine, but then they get kind of descriptive. Okay. Well, we're gonna be. Re- I'll be reading at least The Maze Runner. Laura's read it enough times now that we can probably do the podcast without her rereading it, but she might just for fun. So that'll be our next book, and then I'll be looking for some more classic suggestions. Um, I have The Hobbit on our list. We might read that. Um, she was interested in reading Bram Stoker's Dracula, but I think I have to go back and read that myself just to make sure there's uh, some not anything inappropriate in it. If you remember, please go ahead and let me know on our Facebook page or, or send me an email from the reading-radio.com website. Anything else we need to say? Nope. All right. I'm Jason. And I'm Alora. Go read more books and find good conversations with your family. Bye. <laughs>